Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David, welcome back, my friend. Hey, Rob. Happy happy December. Happy December. It's great to be back. <laughs> 2023, man, we are rolling along. Mm. Episode 22 of the 1110 Leadership Podcast. That's incredible. Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground this mm. year. We're not done. <laughs> no, we're not. The topics keep coming. It's like I'm peeling an onion. There's just more there. So we're excited to keep sharing, talking. It's about the journey, not the destination. So let's do it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It has been a journey. It's been a journey. I think hopefully our listeners have appreciated going on this with us. You know, that last one was a, was a heavy hitter talking about lament as we kick off this Advent season. And we're going to we're going to keep rolling kind of on the spirit of kind of waiting, waiting, pursuing justice wrongs being righted. I mean, we're, we're coming off of a heavy family season, right? Logging a lot of hours with our loved ones in some way, shape, or form around the holidays. And so this one feels very fitting to tackle both under the umbrella of Advent, but also just because of the the season that we're in, high touch season, spending so much time with our family members. So we're going to talk about, I don't, honestly, I don't think I've ever, I really heard this topic fused together in this way. And we talk about pursuing justice. And then we're also going to be talking about what, what does that look like in the context of our families? Because oftentimes, you know, we're most of the subject matter, we're working with leaders, getting them thinking through principles around building healthy cultures at work so that people are thriving and just in the context of their work teams. But there's another group that's even more important than our work families, and that is our actual families. So, David, Kick us off here by talking about the importance of this subject of pursuing justice and thriving, not just staying limited to the individual and work levels, but why is it so crucial for us to think about this concept of being just at home, and what does that even look like? Well, it's deep. As I think about it, you know, the big idea is it's really difficult to be just at work if we're not just at home. And so it starts there, this idea of what it looks like for us to engage with issues around what it means to be just in ways that help our families thrive. That's where we are called to be most focused as leaders for those of us who are married, have children, to love and care for our spouses, to uh, cherish our children, be present for them. Is, is a priority for us. And so we need to make it a priority and to think about it in a way that allows our families to thrive means that we need to think about what it looks like to be just in the context of our families. 
And I, I think about it in two different ways. There's the external way, which is what does it look like for us to be a just family in how we operate, how we engage the world? Because as we've talked about this, as we know, that's a pathway to our thriving, that we're going to flourish as we have a mindset within the context of our families for everyone around us to flourish. So that's one big idea. The other big idea, which is more internal, which is how do we deal with being just inside of our families? Because quite honestly, a lot of times we experience injustice or brokenness Mm. within the context of our family relationships. Mm. And there's deep pain and hurt because of that. And those are things that we need to process, but they're also things that we need to be able to know how to move through. And this idea of being just can be helpful as we deal with those issues. Mm. Yeah. I'm really glad that you named that reality because I think both aspects are so important to touch on, right? This idea of how important it is. The phrase we use when we're working with our our groups is inviting our families into a bigger story, right? Than just that nuclear family story that addressing injustice includes our home, you know, includes our spouses and includes our kids. But you're also, I think it's really important from the from the outset here to talk about the fact that injustice also hits home sometimes, right? I mean, it's not just those who are kind of living in a bubble of perfection that go out and then have the ability to go and address injustice and they're somehow buffered from it. I mean, really, this goes back to that phrasing of, of being a both and situation. Injustice hits everywhere. It hits societally. It hits, it hits our, our living rooms, our kitchen tables, and it cuts across generations, sometimes passed down generationally. You think about trauma, right? And woundedness and just how those things really can be cyclical within within a single family. So this is this is a, a layered conversation and one we want to be careful really to avoid kind of sweeping generalizations, right? Because every family is unique. There's not a there's not this is not a one size fits all podcast episode. There are so much nuance to this. But I think those two points are really helpful the way that you framed us up for that. David, could you even spend time for a second just talking about the family writ large? We're recording this, you know, 2023 America. And just there, these words, the definitions matter, right? And so can you even just spend a second talking, what do you mean when you say family? Because I think that people, it means different things to different people. And there's also things happening in the waters culturally around this term that I think are helpful to name on the beginning of this conversation also. Yeah. So there's, you know, certainly the sense of family that we get from scripture and the ways that we are uh, as husbands and wives to love each other, uh, to love and sacrifice for one another, to die for one another, to build uh, faith in our children and to raise up our children in the way that they should go. So there's there's all kinds of scripture that helps us define what it looks like for us to be this nuclear family as we're growing up with our spouses, our children, And then as it extends to our extended family, there's also a sense of, you know, having a spiritual family too, that God uses the the church and the local church for us as those who follow Jesus to be connected to a local group of 
believers who commit to one another in a spiritual family, and that we see the church as the bride of Christ, that we're called to be in relationship with one another, called to bear one another's burdens. So you see that extended beyond our nuclear family. And this is really interesting because I think for us, it's important to put the idea of family into context because I think we have in our society become sometimes family can be like an idol. I know it's been that way for me at times where I just am so locked in and focused on my just nuclear family, just our, the six of us, my wife, Alice, and our four four children, that I can miss the broader sense of family that God has designed for us. And it's interesting how this has progressed over the years, particularly in America, In 1850, roughly three-quarters of Americans older than 65 lived with their kids and grandkids. Nuclear families existed, but they were surrounded by extended or corporate families. So you had this intergenerational mix that was very much a part of what it looked like to be families living together 100 years ago. By the 1920s, the nuclear family with a male breadwinner had replaced the corporate family as the dominant family form. And then by 1960, 77% of all children were living with their two parents who were married and apart from their extended family. So there's a sense that we've moved from this big interconnected and extended family idea. And and what's interesting is when, when we had that sense of extended family, there were things that protected us. People who are vulnerable in society were able to bear the shocks of life, if you will, because they were able to be cared for in the broader extended family that we felt a hundred years ago. And now the shift from bigger interconnected extended families to smaller and detached nuclear families have led to a system that keeps people and the most vulnerable from having the kind of support that they had when we were all taking care of one another in this idea of a big nuclear family. So even David Brooks says, he's a New York Times author, says nothing has done more damage to scripture's vision of family than the ideal of the nuclear family. Hmm. So that's hard to hear Hmm. because I think for me, you know, I have really made this my thing as a dad. Like if somebody were to ask me, back me in a corner, you know, how have you approached being a dad to your children? I've said, you know, I I want to be a dad who's present. I want to be present physically with them. I want to be present emotionally with them. And of course, that's good. Of course, that's the right answer in many ways. But if I am so locked in and so tunnel vision focused on just our nuclear family and don't have a broader vision for what it looks like to to have a sense of family that extends beyond our six, and then to also see how that then allows my family, my nuclear family to thrive because we have a bigger vision of what this looks like, then I think I've put too much emphasis on what it means to be so centered on family. Hmm. Yeah. And there's a deep irony hiding in that emphasis, which I, I think I can fall prey to as well. And 
because we live in a hyper individualistic culture in America, this focus on the family and the nuclear family, even to be like the best dad that I want to be, oftentimes it means the all the pressure of raising our kids falls on me, right? And my wife and whoever whoever is raising them in in that nuclear family. And you're kind of almost cutting off arms and legs of this village, right? Of people who, even just from a spiritual perspective, there's there's research that talks about, you know, you and I are both coming from the Christian tradition and wanting to see our kids raised in the in the to believe in Christ. This idea that having three to four, I think it's five, is the is the sweet spot. Other adults besides you that are really helping to play a mentor type role in the life of your child. You know, when we set ourselves apart, the irony is we're we're doing that because we were wanting to invest deeply, but we're we're maybe cutting ourselves off from resources like you mentioned that have more ramifications than not just a social safety net for the vulnerable, but just our, our kids thriving. If that really is what we say we're about, then I think some of this, we need, might need to reevaluate the way in which we're going about this that could be to not only our detriment, but to their detriment. And that's a fascinating concept. It helped me to think about this as our kids were growing up, which was who are their spiritual aunts and uncles? Hmm that they could identify. And have we created a context in which people, like you just said, other adults can pour into their lives so that they could have those kind of relationships. <clears throat> and that's what we're that's what we're talking about. Yeah, which I think also sets up what does it look like to your first point? What does it look like to pursue justice at home, right? Address injustice, but but really what does it look like to be about pursuing justice as a family unit. Honestly, a lot of times when we talk to our leaders, David, right, the first point we hit is this concept of margin. If you're just so busy that you don't have the time to think about this stuff, when you think about including your family, that's also just going to be, you know, your, your eyes are going to glaze over. Because like, look, if I don't have time to participate individually, I definitely don't have time based on my family calendar. Like <laughs> me sneaking away, you know, cutting off work a little early to go volunteer somewhere is one thing. Moving my whole family calendar, like how's that going to happen? But I think back to your point, if we are doing this and thinking more communally, which is, I think that David Brooks reference of what ha- has happened with the nuclear family in the n- recent history, that is that is the that is the exception to the rule, right? Most of history has moved the way you were describing it, where it was a much larger unit. I wonder just what that has also done just to our our own margin, if we're always the one having to carry the weight and what that could also do if we didn't do that to really create some space for us to then use, not just for our own personal enjoyment and leisure, but to go and and pick up the cause of, you know, the victim of, of injustice, right? And the marginalized and the vulnerable in our community. Yeah. So the goal is to make all this baked in to our experience as a family as much as we can so that it becomes who we are, not just what we do, but the who we are certainly informs what we do that allows for the kind of margin you're talking about that, that includes intentionality around the way that we spend our time so that we know that the things that <clears throat> ultimately will lead to our thriving are part of our experience. And so, you know, you apply the four principles of a just leader in the context of family, which is, you know, 
you know, see the whole playing field. So how do we help our families see, see things that others don't see and be able to have the time and the margin to be able to do that? Build cultural competency. Be very, very intentional about the things that we do to ensure that we all, in the context of our family, are spending time with people that are different from us, whether it's related to ethnicity or um, other backgrounds, economics, belief systems, whatever it might be, that allow us to have a diversity of relationship within the context of our family. Do we have people who are different from us who are sitting down at our dinner tables and that we're inviting them over? And our kids see that as normal to see different people come into our homes. But we've been intentional about what we've done so that that becomes natural. It's not a project. So you have to think about all the decisions that we make related to our families and in particular as parents with our kids. Like, where do we go to school? How do we engage at the schools that we're a part of? How do we engage with our neighbors? What sports teams or other activities do we choose to do that allow us to have relationships with people who are different from us? All those things become part of what becomes normal, where we shop, where we go out to eat, how we engage those around us. There's a lot of great intentionality that can happen within the context of our families. Then again, giving power away and then finally taking bold, courageous action. All the things that we've talked about on these podcasts how we decrease so that others increase, how we disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others, how we think about money and our giving and bring our kids to be a part of that. You know, all of that seems overwhelming. But again, when this becomes who we are versus what we do, then this naturally becomes a part of our experience. And we begin to use a new filter for the ways in which we make decisions. And just to say one last thing as I wrap that up, I talk about this a bit in the book and the latter chapters. It's important for us to take our kids with us when we're thinking about these things. Because as we talk about justice being slow and fixing brokenness, taking time, the things that we hope to change in our lifetimes related to this are not going to happen in our lifetimes. They're going to happen in our children's lifetimes or their children's lifetimes. And so it's really important for us to bring our children along. And sometimes we can be really wary of that because we don't want our children to experience injustice Mm -hmm. or we don't want them to see things that are messy Mm -hmm. or we don't want to move into places that we believe are unsafe And I just want to encourage those of you listening who have kids, man, kids are resilient. And certainly we want to be careful in terms of issues of safety when it's appropriate. But I think we need to be careful to think that certain environments are unsafe when they're really not. Hmm. Or they expose our kids to things that we think may hurt them when in reality we have stories ourselves, you and I, don't we, Rob, of our own kids who have who have built real depths of understanding hmm. and maturity by going through and experiencing suffering. Hmm. And as a parent, I want to protect my kids from suffering. But sometimes that's the method by which God uses them and 
works in them to build the kind of muscles and the insight to make them who they're designed to be. And I don't want to get in the way of that. Hmm. Yeah, and almost what you're saying, even listening to it, it resonates so much because there's so much fear baked into parenting. And you feel like, yeah, what you want to do to do right by your kids is can be actually can accomplish the opposite result. You know, you don't wish suffering for them the same way you don't wish it for yourself. But when we think about what has actually been the the crucible for the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life, it is because of the suffering that I've endured myself or the suffering that I have seen others go through that I've gotten close enough to be transformed by. And so you don't want to pursue suffering for your kids. You don't want to you don't want to put them in harm's way intentionally so that they become victims of injustice, but you also don't want to spend your whole life trying to buffer them from seeing it and from experiencing it because that's not the answer. And I think when we when we think deeply about it, we we can realize there's probably some flaws in the logic that come from a good place and come from a good motivation of love. But if not pushed and checked, it can really actually have the opposite effect than than what we intend and, and maybe even shortchange our families in some ways, because we we rob them of the gift that we talk about and that you talk about in the book, right, David, of really experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom in all of its beauty and all of its messiness. The world's a broken place. I don't care how much you try to buffer your kids from it. There's, you, there's only so much you're going to be able to do that for so long, but really being a guide and then a helpful interpreter along the way. Because it's inevitable, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. Just, it's inevitable. It's, and we've mentioned this already. It's, it could even be happening within the context of our families. And yeah. so we're having to then figure out then how do you move through suffering? How do you move through times when you have experienced injustice, where you have been oppressed? When do you seek and pursue justice and hold people accountable? And when do you offer forgiveness and let things go? Is it one or the other, or is it both at the same time? And we've had experiences of both within the context of our family. And it's been interesting to watch as a parent to see our kids develop grit. Mm. And I think grit is sort of a prerequisite for living in today's world. And to do that standing on uh, truth and not just being swayed by cultural, you know, waves that come by and toss and turn us all, but we can stay steady and faithful and persevere and not avoid, but go through these things that are hard and to do it in the context of extended relationships, right? You know, the idea of holding up as a nuclear family means, you know, we're kind of like, we got this. We're good. Mm. (laughs) You know, we don't need you. Mm. Versus this idea of extended family that was what we talked about 100 years ago. And now even God's design for an extended family and the idea of the church. It's, no, we're needy. We we need help. We are in need of you coming alongside of us because these things are hard. And so we can rely on one another in such a way that allows us to have the strength to move through this mess, which ultimately helps us develop that grit. 
So David, as we as we land the plane here, what what final thought or bottom line do you have for our listeners? What word of advice would you have for them when they think about what does it look like to pursue justice in the context of family? What what words of wisdom would you like to leave them with? So as I think about that, Rob, a verse comes to mind in Matthew where it says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You know, this path for thriving is about being, you know, outward focused, decreasing so that others increase. Like I've said, disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of others. As a parent, you really understand that because you end up, you know, living that on a daily basis as you give up your life for your kids in many ways. But I would say that we need to make sure that we're not just building a bunker for our own families, but we're extending that beyond and that we're helping all of our families, our kids, all of us, and use all of us to have a perspective of what it looks like to welcome and to welcome people in and to pursue these things that allow us to experience what it means to be just and engage in issues that may be messy or maybe even scary on the surface, but it will allow us to experience life in ways that we have not been able to do. And I would just say, if we're just too busy as a family to be able to even comprehend that or think about that, then we need to take an inventory of how we're spending our time to see how we can create margin or take some initial intentional steps to make sure that that happens. That's good. I think that's right on the money. I love that idea of you know challenging this bunker mentality. I almost think about it in terms of a fence, right? Take, taking Instead of building a higher fence to further isolate yourself and your family, like taking that wood down and uh, turning it into building bigger tables, right? And inviting others in both to help you equip your family. So it's not just a solo journey, but then also to join God on the margins where there's just so much, I don't know. That's, that is the, that is the trajectory of the kingdom, right? Is, is joining God on the margins and joining him in, in that work as a family. What does it look like to do that as a unit and, uh, and grow the unit at the same time? So a lot of good things for our listener to think about, David. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals, one, one, then spelled out, T-E-N, leadership.com. That's one, one, T-E-N, leadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.